All right, good morning, church. Good to see you. Let's see, uh, did you, who forgot daylight savings time today? Let's be real. Time to be honest is a place. God knows, telling the truth or not. Good, all right, all right. Um, we have been, as we've been talking about in, in our series, we got two more weeks, this week and next, we've been talking about the purpose of the church. Why do we exist as a church? Uh, what are we here for? What's a church supposed to look like that follows Jesus? And this week, we're going to be talking about values. We're going to be talking about values and, and answering the question, what's important to you? The values in your life show what is important to you. So, uh, for example, how many of you value being on time? Talking about daylight's savings time. All right, in all the love and grace of Jesus, you are liars, okay? Because I've been coming to this church for how many years, and 60% of y'all show up between the minutes of 11.01 and 11.09, okay? Now, in high school, y'all would be tardy, right? I should send you back out there to marry Jean and bring in a tardy slip, all right? If that was cruel, but I'm not. I love you. And we, you know, we, we, I value punctuality. People who don't value punctuality the way I do can kind of drive me nuts. But we all have a different definition of what punctuality is. Like for me, if I say, if it's so, you're supposed to be somewhere at 9 a.m., I'm going to show up at 9 a.m. or 8.58 or 8.59 so that I'm walking in at 9 a.m. But for some of us, like our drummer Ian, for him, you know, for Shrek, he comes at 8.40. Like for him, on time is 15, 20 minutes early. If I show up somewhere that Ian's supposed to be there and he's not there yet, I'm like, oh no, Ian's dead, right? <laughs> I guess the only explanation for why, or he got in a car wreck or he's hospitalized, like something's wrong with Ian if, if he's not there. Now, for, for around the world though, we have different ideas of, of our values when it comes to time and people. Like if you were to go to a, a Latin American culture, and, and you see someone who's going to work, on their way to work, if they see someone they know or someone stops them and talks to them, they will stop on the way to work and talk to them as long as the conversation goes, regardless of how late it makes them for work. Now, us in, in, in North America, in the United States, there's no way we would do that, right? We are time-oriented. And you show up an hour to late to work consistently because you told your boss you ran into someone you know, you're going to find yourself down at the job center, right? There are different values in cultures. Latino cultures tend to, tend to weigh on the side of relationships. We would weigh on the side of, of, of time, punctuality, right? Efficiency at work. We have different values, I really want to move to Latin America. I was uh, in a wedding, uh, Jacob and Lisa's, who are up here playing bass and singing. Uh, this is Jacob and then myself and, and Luke, his groomsmen. And at Lisa and Jacob's wedding, they were very intentional. It was a really cool wedding. And one of the things they did is they used these three words that helped guide everything that they did. They used reverence, simplicity, and genuineness. Now, don't the three people on the right embody genuineness, simplicity, and reverence, right? And, and so everything they did, the announcements they made, the decorations they had, the way the ceremony went, and even going forward in their marriage, they wanted these three words to encapsulate the values that they had, and it was seen, it directed the way that they went about making decisions and, and, and went through with the wedding. So, so the values we have in life 
They shape and direct the way we do things. So the question is, for here, us here at Peninsula Grace, what are our values? What are the, what are the principles and the, va- the things that are important to us as a church that ought to guide and shape and direct us as we move forward making disciples, living for the will of God, for the glory of God? If you remember, we've been using this vision frame, this picture frame, to kind of help us on point. And I want to say, this series is not so much just another series, and we put some cute alliterations together and, and hope to, you can remember some things. What, what I want to see this series as is a launching pad, that it would be the lens through which we, we see what we do as a church, the way we worship together, the way we serve together, the way we live together, the way we grow together. This would be a paradigm through which we do everything else as a church. And so if you remember, we said the mission, the goal, the thing that hangs overhead. Paul said in Colossians 1 that our aim is to present everyone complete in Christ. That everybody on this planet would become complete in Christ. Another word for it is mature in Christ. And the mature person in Christ is one who fully trusts Jesus, fully obeys Jesus, and looks like Jesus. And so we said, well, what kind of a church, what's the picture look like in the middle? Like, what what kind of a church looks like this that's heading toward that aim? And we say that the vision for our church, seen through the Word of God, is that we are a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. And we use our logo as a picture of that. A group of people gathered around the person and work of Jesus that are called to go make disciples of all nations. That's what the mandate from our commander-in-chief. So then we use the sides of the frame to say, well, how do we get there? How do we know we're on track, that we're coloring inside the lines of what God has for us? And, and on the one hand, we used the method, the way that we go and make disciples of Jesus is engage, equip, and empower. That we engage the lost in our community and beyond. And then we equip the found and empower the found to go out and engage, equip, and empower. It's making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's the Paul and Timothy relationship that we talked about that is necessary for a church to multiply and not just add, to see everyone completed in Christ. And then we said the other thing that helps guide us is the measures. How do we know if we're, be- if we're moving in the right direction as, as his people of God? And the measures we use were people who, believe- who are believing God's word up here more today than we did last year and five years ago, that we're becoming more like Jesus than we were a year ago, that we are being led by the Spirit, His power in us, His direction, His will, and not mine. And today, as we close out this week and next on this series, we're going to look at the values that all of this rests on, why we do what we do, what's important to us. Now, as we, as we look at these values, we want to ask the question, what does a gospel-centered community look like? If we're a people marked by Jesus, what does a group of people that follow Jesus look like? Now, to figure out our values, we don't just take a poll, right? This is not American Idol. Like, what do you guys think our values should be? Our values are derived from the Word of God. The Word of God's our authority, so we let the Word of God tell us what our values should be. And for some of us, this is, this is well, for all of us, this is corrective, because we all have values in our lives, but do our values line up with His values? So for that, we're going to look at, at, the, at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, remember, Jesus just ascended back into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the church has been born and it starts to grow. In fact, the headline uh, of this little section is in the New Living is the believers form a community. The believers form a community. So what does this community look like? Now, we know the early church was not perfect, right? Still made up of sinners. In fact, there were some jacked up doctrines that took 
decades, even centuries, to start to iron out. So the early church wasn't perfect, but these are guys who had just finished following Jesus around on earth physically. So they probably have a pretty good idea, directly from the horse's mouth, what this community ought to look like. And so we look at this as a picture. So here's what I see. Let's, let's look through these six verses together. This is the ESV. It says, they devoted themselves, this is that early church, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, gathering together, the breaking of bread, which can mean the Lord's Supper, bread in the cup, but it can also just be a way to describe meal together, and the prayers, the praying together. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Are you starting to see the values popping out of this? And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when I look through here, I pull out five major strands of values that I see in, in the early church. And we look at them. The first one's gospel-centered teaching. We talked about teaching seeing God's word being proclaimed through signs and wonders. We see their attending temple where they're studying God's word. There's a gospel-centered teaching. Second one is relentless prayer. Relentless prayer. We see them praying to God, requests in 42. We see them praising God. It's another form of communication with him, praying to him. A, we see awestruck worship. Says we see that there's awe that comes upon every soul. That there's worship of God, New Living says. That they're praising God. There's worship of who he is. We see, see, compassionate community. Breaking of the bread. Again, meals together. They were together. They were in each other's home. The favor or goodwill of all people. So the kind of community they were in. And then finally, we see egoless service. They were giving their possessions to those who were in need. That they had glad and generous hearts. So this is an overview as we look at these five values that we see coming out of this early church. So what we see, as we put it all together, the bedrock, the foundation of the values of the early church in the word of God, and therefore our values today, is one that's marked by grace. By grace. And we see it specifically lived out in these five ways. Now, we think about our church. We recently took the word brethren out. Okay, we're just Peninsula Grace Church. And we see these three words, and they're very intentional words in what they communicate. Because first of all, church says, says who we are. Right? We are the called out ones. That's what church means. Called out from the world to follow Jesus and to call others, proclaim the good news to everybody. So we're the church. But then secondly, we're, we're peninsula. Right? This just says where we are. Right? We're on the Kenai Peninsula. We are a local expression of that universal church, a group of believers that meet together regularly. And then finally, grace. Now, grace is in the middle of it all. Grace is what we're all about. That we want, according to Acts 2, to be a community marked by valuing grace and what it looks like to flesh that out. So, we're going to look at a couple things. When we look at this acronym GRACE, okay, we start with A, awestruck worship. Now, I know that's not how you spell grace, okay? You put your comment cards away, okay? Grace starts with a G, I, I know, I know. But, we're going to look at in the middle of the word grace and in the center of our values at the core of everything that we hold dear is this worship, this awestruck worship. You think about, I mean, what makes, look at, look at this new community of believers that are being formed in Acts. What, what makes them live in the radical way they live? What causes this change? 
I mean, look at this passage. And these people are, they're crazy. They're starting to give away all of their possessions. They're just sort of eager to meet any need around them. They're not thinking about themselves. They're just all jacked up on joy. They have like this crazy progressive dinner that just never seems to stop as they meet and eat in each other's homes. They're marked by gladness and generosity. They just keep spending all their time together and telling people about Jesus. I mean, what in the world's going on here? I don't know how many of you guys are, are hikers. Skyline's my favorite trail in Cooper Landing. Uh, back when my hips were awesome. Uh, and so and as you hike up Skyline, let's say you're going up the trail, and you turn the corner, and about 20 feet ahead of you is, is, a, is a grizzly bear up on its hind legs, okay? And you, you have this encounter with this bear. Now, what is your reaction? There's a healthy amount of fear and awe for this bear, right? You're not just like, oh, hey, bear, jingle, jingle, right? <laughs> this is not Winnie the Pooh, right? The, the encounter with this bear is going to drastically change your current life decisions, right? The literal path in front of you has, has altered significantly. Because of this encounter with this bear, you are changed. And you look at verse 43, it says, awe came over every soul. Now, this word awe can be translated fear. So, so what's happening here? The people of the early church have had an encounter with, with the living God. That most of these people had, had walked with Jesus. They had seen what Jesus had done. They had seen him rise and go back to heaven. And now, in their midst, he's doing all these crazy things. He's healing people. There's signs and wonders. People are being delivered from their sins. 3,000 people had just come to know Jesus through, uh, through this, the preaching of the apostles. God is alive. And as they've encountered an experience with him, it's changed them to their Core. And I believe for many of us, I know in my life, when I'm not living in an awestruck wonder and worship of my God, I do not live a changed life. And that's what I see so often in my heart. I would rather accumulate possessions for myself than be eager to give them to those who are in need. That I ignore the needs of the people around me. That I would rather, if I'm honest, binge watch the next Netflix series than to get on my knees and talk to my God. That I would rather do my own thing, live my own comfortable life, than be in a messy community of other sinners. That I'd rather read what's going on on Facebook and Twitter than getting into the Word of God. Why? Because we have not seen Him rightly and have not been changed by Him. We, you and I were created, designed to worship God. And there's no greater joy in our life than the experience of who he is and a living relationship with him. And these people in the early church had had their lives affected in this radical way because first and foremost they encountered this God and were left in breathless wonder. So we have to ask the question then, what is worship? What is worship? If worship hangs in the middle of everything that we are called to value as the creation of God, well, what is worship? Well, the Greek word, proskuneo, it means prostrate. Now, I think I might have made an egregious uh, error in your uh, bulletin, if you're following along. I left out a key R. And now I see some papers rattling. There you go. There you go. You're there. All right. Just wanted to make sure you were all following along. So I apologize for that. That's a, that's a whole different thing. But the word, the word prostrate means to bow down 
Okay, and this says to kiss the hand in token of reverence. I've never had so many people looking at their notes before. <laughs> in the ancient Eastern cultures, these people, they would, they would bow down to deities or to the royalty. And when they would do this, they would oftentimes, so like if I'm going to come and I'm going to, I don't want to get sacrilegious, but if I was going to, to do this, if I was going to proscuneo Pastor Chuck, I really like him, I'm not going to worship you, but if I would do that, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to physically alter okay, my position before him. And I would get down, this is gonna, somebody be ready to help me to get back up. So I get down on my knees, and oftentimes when you would be prostrate, you would actually touch the forehead to the ground. So now I'm down like this, before him, I won't kiss your hand because that just gives a whole other sermon, right? We just don't need to go there. And I would, what, and now what am I doing when I position myself like this in front of another person? This is a way of physically demonstrating that this person is above me, whether it be physically or, or in, in, in the way I esteem them and regard them. You say, you're above me. I value you more than I value myself. That you're, you're in some, some position of power or a sovereign or a master. And so the people, love you, Pastor Chuck. The people that we, the, the things in our lives that we bow down before, we're showing that we're giving them value. That they are above us. That they are beyond us. That they are of, of, of immeasurable worth. In fact, the English word for worship, if you break it into two parts, originally it was worth-ship. It's what something is worth. So the question is, in your life, what do you give value to? That's the thing or the things that you worship. So is it family? Is it possessions? Is it punctuality? What do we value in our life? Because that's what we worship. And, and the, the more that you value it, the more that you worship that thing. In fact, John Piper said, true worship in regard to God is valuing or treasuring God above all things. This is what it means to worship him, to give him more worth than anything else in my life, including my own life. And this has some ramifications. Because one of the most central ways that worship manifests itself, shows itself, is through sacrifice. What we worship, what we give worth to, we give ourselves to. So you think about, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you remember the, 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 the culture of, of, of the Jewish people centered around the law of Moses. What would they do? They would sacrifice bulls and goats, which in their culture, I mean, that was currency. I mean, that, was, that was some of the things that they valued the most were their livestock in an agrarian culture. And so they would, they would give these things up to God in a way to show that he was more valuable to them than anything else and to also show that death was necessary for them to be able to have a relationship with God. They were looking forward to the sacrifice that was coming. Because you and I know, Hebrews says, and the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. They're just blood, they're just bulls and, and goats. So what they could never do, Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering. He came and he did for us. And, and Hebrews 9 tells us exactly why Jesus gave himself. And this is, this is so cool. Hebrews 9 says, just think how much more, comparing it to the blood and goats, which cannot take away sins, the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds. Why? So that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. See, Jesus became the ultimate expression of God's value. That God was worth it all 
to sacrifice, to give himself up so that you and I could know God as Father, have a relationship with him. So what happens here, Hebrews 13, it says that as we now, as sons and daughters of God, we're called to worship through sacrifice, through giving of ourselves to him. And it gives us two very specific ways of doing this. Hebrews 13, through him, let us continually, not a one-time thing, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So this first offering that we give to God is acknowledging who he is through our lips, through the words that we say. And then it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The second way is through giving, giving things, doing good, acts of service. So we break this down. The first one is fruit of the lips. As we look at our acronym, the G and the R are talking about that. Gospel-centered teaching, proclaiming, speaking the truth about who God is from his word, and then relentless prayer. The prayers and praise of our God, lifting him high in the way that we talk about him. But we know it's not just words. We also offer him the fruit of our deeds. And that's the compassionate community that we would be loving those that we are in community with, an egoless service. It's not about me. I want to serve. I want to give my life, my time, my talent, my treasure for other people. And right in the middle of it is worship, awestruck worship. And this is all summed up in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You know this verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Worship. What's at the heart of worship? It's sacrifice. It's saying, God, I value you above everything, so I'm giving you everything. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? Okay, rub it in. I've never been there. Get your hands down. One of the few, top of my bucket list, one of the few things in, in the States that I've really wanted to get to that I've never been able to. Uh, I have been to this really cool crater in Mexico. Does that count for anything? Uh, but I, I climbed the mountain, I really did. And I climbed this mountain, and, I, and this crater was in view out of nowhere. You didn't see it until you got to the very top of this hill. And it literally took my breath away for a moment. Like there was this kind of gasp as I saw this huge chasm that had been formed in the earth. And if you've seen something crazy like this, the Grand Canyon or one of these amazing views or Denali, I mean, my favorite place in the world is Denali National Park. I've always wanted to be one of those bus drivers with the microphone, right? Grizzly bear, six o'clock, right? Did you know that the, you know, I just, that would, I just think that would be amazing. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not, I'm not quitting anytime soon. So when you, when you see Denali or the Grand Canyon or a crater, you don't just meh, right? We don't just meh one of those things. When you see it, it, it affects you. You're in awe of it, and it, and it changes you. What Paul says here, he goes, in view of God's mercy. He says, when we see with the eyes of faith the Denali-sized sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins in order that you and I could have the joy of knowing our God as Father, he says, when you see him rightly, like that crater, or like the Grand Canyon, or like Denali, says the only proper response is awe and fear. And the only proper thing to do from that awe and fear is to offer all of ourselves to him. You see, what we're saying is, man, just have it all. Every breath, every word, Every thought, every action, every part of my body, it's yours. And just like Jesus offered himself for us on the cross, we are called to offer all of ourselves 
to the one who is more valuable than anything. Because God is valued above all, we give him our all. And I believe this church, this new baby church in Acts chapter 2, had this awestruck encounter with God and the work of his Holy Spirit in and through them. And it was, became their bedrock foundational value that all their other values were built upon. Now we're going to look at the G and the R really briefly here this morning, and then the C and the E we'll look at next week. But we look at gospel-centered teaching. It starts with gospel-centered teaching out of worship. Look at what it says in, in Acts 42, uh, 242. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now what's the apostles' teaching? Well, these, these are the guys that have been following Jesus, that he had given them the words to teach. To, he says, go teach all that I've commanded you. Now, were they reading the New Testament here in Acts chapter 2? No, they were living the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, right? They're, they're in motion. Paul and, 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 and Peter and James, they haven't written their letters yet. So right now, they're getting an oral uh, uh, translation of God's word, where today, you and I, we have it in written form. And we can read the New Testament, the apostles' teaching, through the written word. But what we see here is that they devoted themselves to this teaching. They devoted themselves to this teaching. And I thought about, like, the way we devote ourselves to learning new things. I thought, has something ever consumed you? Like, you, 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 there's something new that you've discovered and you just can't get enough of it? I was thinking about those, like, those crime shows when they've got, like, they're trying to get onto this case, and there's just the, all the stuff's laid out of them, all the, all the information, the pictures, right, the little rabbit trails they've been on, and they're just devoted to, to learning who done it, right? I do this every, every year around this time, spring training, and I can't wait to devour all the information I can on the Baltimore Orioles, right? Who's their new pitching staff? Who are we, we going to stink again this year? I hope not. I just devote myself to learning more and more about this. We got people who are, who are dedicated and want to learn more about the things like the JFK assassination, right? Still can't let that one go, right? Or, or the end times, like how is this all going to work? Or I think about someone like Austin Whitaker, like whenever he learns that you can blow something else up, Right? He's just like, really? What? That's legal? And he's just all, all of a sudden, you know, he, he devotes himself to learning more about that thing. And I thought about, man, this early church. And you think about the way that they and all their ancestors before them had lived. They lived according to the, the law of Moses, right? They worshiped at the temple almost every single day. They're sacrificing bulls and goats. This is their, their whole way of life was centered around this. And now this guy comes and he calls himself God. And says, I want you to follow me. In fact, I'm the reality of all these shadows. I've come to fulfill this. Come follow me. So they start following him. And then he dies on a cross. And they're going through the sorrow and mourning. And what in the world has happened here? And then he's MIA at the tomb. Where is he? And then all of a sudden he shows himself to them, walks with them for 40 days, and now he's leaving again. And then he says, as I go, I'm going to put my spirit, remember we said our portable Jesus, in each and every one of you. And now you're going to go in the world and tell everyone you know about me and that they should follow me. And in fact, it's no longer just being, living a life under the law of Moses as a Jew. I'm actually make, taking all Jews and Gentiles, one new person found in me. And their heads are spinning. What is this? And they devote themselves to the teachings of Jesus. I want to know more about this guy. I want to know more of what it means to follow him. What more it means to live with his spirit in me. Not my effort, but his spirit's effort. What does this mean? How do we do this? And do you realize, brothers and sisters, that the mysterious God of the universe has written a letter to us telling us everything we need to know about himself? You and I 
to be students of this letter, devoting ourselves to this word, valuing it above all, to dig in to his teaching. Now, oh, I got myself mixed around here. There we go. We're not always going to, we're not going to always be like emotionally charged up to read the word of God. Like, I don't expect you guys every single week to come here and be like, another sermon, yeah! You know, like, I can't wait, bring it on, right? You should be, but you're not, and that's okay, you know, it's okay. Or every single morning, 6 a.m., I can't wait, what up, Leviticus, right? Like, I just can't wait to get into God's work. There are mornings when it's just work. That's why we call it devotion. All good things take a level of discipline, and faithfulness to them. But what we're going to find is as we taste and see that he's good, he's going to begin to give us a deeper and deeper hunger for his word. In fact, the word disciple, we go back to what we're called to make disciples. We said that the core definition of a disciple is a learner, someone who learns. Now that implies a couple of things. First of all, it implies a humility that I need to learn, that I don't know everything, it turns out. There are things that I need to know that I don't know. Things I need to grow in that I'm not there yet. It also implies a hunger. Not just that I need to know, but I want to know. And what gets developed in us through the Holy Spirit is this hunger, this craving to know more about God. That we would devote ourselves to this teaching. Now I want to say, and this is the slide I apparently got out of order. There are, there are formal ways of teaching, like what we're doing right now, sermons. There's Sunday school teaching, right? There's, there's more Bible studies together. But there's also informal teaching. Relationships that you have. Just the normal rhythms of, of your life. This morning, if you have kids, a family, before you came to church, you were already teaching, right? As they say, more is caught than taught. <laughs> so you were an hour, you know, behind because you lost that thing last night, daylight savings time. So you're bitter and angry and, you know, cursing God at your breakfast table. And, and then you're modeling to your kids what it looks like to follow Jesus on a Sunday morning before you go to church, and the way you interacted with your spouse, the way you interacted with them, what things were like in the car ride. We're teaching, <laughs> we're discipling all the time. And again, what's the question is, what are we teaching them? Not are we teaching, we're, we're always teaching, we're always learning. But what is it we're teaching, what is it we're learning? And the other thing I wanted to bring out with this is we, we didn't just say teaching, we said it's gospel-centered teaching. And definitely don't have time to jump deep into this, but we believe the Bible is our authority, that everything God needed us to know, he's shown us through his word, through creation, through his spirit. That the word of God is our curriculum that we teach all things from. And we said in our study, through the word of God, what do we learn in his story? We said the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And all I want to say is this, that every part of the Bible ultimately finds its bedrock truth in the person of Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus. And a lot of damage has been done using the word of God incorrectly. And if not seen, if Jesus is not seen as the full expression of the entire word of God, it leads us down errant paths. That's where we see legalism coming out. The idea that we can do it on our own, that we're still called to go back and obey the law of Moses, to do this thing in our own effort, it can also lead to license where we take the word and justify our actions and our sins by distorting it. We've seen a lot of really good cults come out of the Bible's teaching, twisting it, perverting it. The Crusades, I mean, we could go on and on. The Bible has been misused over time. So we don't just teach from the Bible. We want all of our teaching to be centered around Jesus and the good news of what he's done for us and who he is in us. And the last one, relentless prayer. 
that we'll look at this morning. There's this awestruck view that the, the, the early church had of God, this grand canyon panorama of his mercy. And they go, wait a second, I not only get to hear from this God and learn from him, but I now get to talk to him? And that we no longer have to go through this sacrificial system that I can now run into his presence, covered in the blood of Jesus, sit on his lap and call him daddy? Are you kidding me? So they not only devoted themselves to his teaching, they devoted themselves to the prayers, to talking to God. Or we see in verse 47, they were praising God, making requests, praising him for who he is. And you notice what it says here. They did this at the temple. They also did this in their homes. This isn't just like, sweet, I get to pray to God. I will do it one time a week for five minutes. I'll do it 30 seconds before I eat my, my, my meal. See, the idea here is relentless prayer. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Like, think about how often you need to breathe. Like, how often do we take a breath? We can't do anything if we're not breathing. And in the same way, man, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Prayer is our oxygen. We said last week, it is our lifeline of dependence on God, that we can do nothing without prayerful dependence on him. This continual attitude of prayer and conversation with him. And listen, we never stop praying because we never stop needing God. We, we, we never stop, he never stops answering our prayers. He is faithful. And we never run out of things to praise God about. As long as there is a God, there will be reason to pray to him and to praise him. So as we kind of land the, the plane here, we talked about values this morning. What's important to you? Think about your own life. What are, what are the values? We all have values. We value something. We worship something. And, and you reflect, you go, what, what is it in my life that I value? What do I give worth to? What am I propping up and making most important in my life? What things are good, things that I value that are good things to value? What are things that, I, that I, <laughs> I value way too much? And these values are what are going to direct every decision we make. They're going to form how we live our lives. So it's very important that we line our values up with what God's values are for us. So we need to ask ourselves, not just individually, but as a church, as we do everything, we ask the questions, is this based on gospel-centered truth? Like this, this service today, was it true? Was it centered around Jesus and his good news as found in the Bible? We have relationships, conversations. And was that centered around the gospel? Or was that centered around me? <laughs> and everything that we're, every class that we teach, every program we run, every relationship we have, is it gospel-centered teaching? Is it relentless prayer? We need to be bathing everything in prayer beforehand. It needs to be done through the power of prayer in the meantime. And afterwards, we step back and we praise God and we thank him for what he did. That's why we do things like five and five here in the service. And we want to infuse more and more. How do we as a people, individually and corporately, do everything without ceasing to pray? And then finally, awestruck worship. Man, everything that we do, every service that we have, every interaction we have with each other, are we expanding our view of who God is? Are we giving a greater, my, my goal up here in, in what I'm preaching is not that you will get a greater view of Justin right? You'll know me better, that you'll delight in me better, that you were impressed or not impressed with me. My aim is that we walk away from this morning having a bigger view and value of who our God is. Let's pray. Father, this is all, all, all from you. It's all through you, and it is all to your glory.
And we acknowledge as sinners, man, we, all, we, we, we get that all messed up. And we make life all about ourselves. And our values, man, they're all over the map. And so many times they do not line up with the things that you give worth to. Father, we acknowledge that. We confess that. I ask if there's anybody here today that, man, just needs to rearrange some values. that they do that hard work with Jesus here today, not put that off. Lord, that you would make us a people marked by this kind of grace. And that we would, be, that we would see you, that we would taste and see that, the, that you are good and be left in breathless awe and wonder of who you are and who Jesus is in our lives. That we'd be a people marked by continual learning. Give us a hunger. Give us a humility to know you, to learn from you, and that we would never stop praying. Would we be a people of prayer, acknowledging we can do nothing apart from Christ's work in us. That's the gospel, that we can't, that he can, and we gotta let you. Father, may we be a people who value grace, that value you above all things, laying prostrate before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, ascribing all the worth that you alone are due, you alone are God, you alone are good. It's in your son's beautiful name. We pray, we teach, we worship. Amen.